Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to another episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. Today, my guest is Jeff Chilton. He's the president of a company called Namex, and he is a mycologist. A mycologist is an expert on mushrooms, so we're going to be talking about using mushrooms for preventative health and how they help activate your immune system response and increase that for preventative health, the different types of mushrooms you can use medicinally, and all about cooking with mushrooms, finding mushrooms in the wild, and basically a lot of stuff about mushrooms. So Jeff is very well versed in this subject and it's very fascinating. So stay tuned. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Goth Tours. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. Hi, today my guest is Jeff Chilton. He's the president of Namex and a mycologist. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Don. How you doing? Good. How are you? Great. It's sunny out, so I feel good. Yay. And thank you for joining me on A Teaspoon of Healing. Thank you for bringing me on. Absolutely. Now, before we talk too much about what you do, what is a mycologist for those people who don't know? Well, mycology is the study of fungi. So one of the parts or divisions in that kingdom are mushrooms. So a lot of mycologists are people that study and work with mushrooms. Great. And you've studied this for a while. And your company, Namex, you source mushrooms and... Well, all of the mushrooms that we deal with are cultivated. We're not out there in the woods hunting okay. down wild mushrooms or something <laughs> like that. Everything is cultivated. Although, don't get me wrong, I love wild mushroom hunting. It is a ton of fun. And we'll talk about that. Actually, I find that really interesting. So we can talk about that near the end as well. But so they're cultivated and your company resells them? Well, what we do is we will grow crops of mushrooms, different mushrooms up to 12 different species and then we will dry them out and then we will turn them into extract powders because my customers are primarily companies that have products that are put out in capsules or tablets. I mean, my products primarily go into the nutritional supplement industry, so we don't deal at all with uh, dried mushrooms and putting dried mushrooms into the market or anything like that. We're, we simply produce extract 
powders that then get resold by other companies under their label. They just put our powders into capsules, uh, bottles with their label on it. Oh, okay, great. Now, mushrooms. We all know that they have nutritional value. So what are the health benefits of mushrooms? And I know there's so many different kinds of mushrooms and they probably have different benefits, but maybe just in general, how can they help your health? Well, first of all, let me just, so we don't go over that too quickly. And let sure. me just say that mushrooms are a fantastic food. And and believe it or not, Don, when I started mushroom growing in 1973, I started to work on a very, very large mushroom farm. And I was on that mushroom farm. I worked there for 10 years. And this farm grew 2 million pounds of mushrooms. And at that time in the 70s, classical nutritionists looked at mushrooms and they said, basically, you know, mushrooms taste good. They might be good as a garnish or something like that, but they treated it as a non-food. And the reason they did that, mushrooms don't have a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. And every mushroom has a different nutritional profile, but a general profile of a mushroom would be approximately 25% protein. And it's a high quality protein, good profile of amino acids, 60% carbohydrate, 7% fat, and about 6% minerals. And those carbohydrates, this is where it's really interesting, those carbohydrates, a lot of them are called beta-glucans. And the beta-glucan makes up the cell wall, 50% of the cell wall of a mushroom. And it's those beta-glucans that then will provide the medicinal side of why we should be consuming mushrooms, whether as a food or a supplement. So great nutritional profile. And I highly recommend for people to put mushrooms into their diet because the other thing about mushrooms is that they're very high in fiber. So they're feeding the microbiome as well as giving us these other medicinal benefits. Nice. So they works almost as they work alongside if you're taking probiotics if you're not eating enough fiber, the insoluble, especially the fibers that you can't digest, that well, they're going to eat, and that, that's a good thing to eat then. Well, in fact, yes, and that's what they can be considered as a prebiotic. Right. That's what I was going to say, the prebiotic. So they, you can actually buy prebiotic powders, but instead you can actually you can eat foods with that fiber, <laughs> which is exactly. easier. So then you're actually getting the minerals provided. So mushrooms are one. I know there's a few others. Mushrooms, so they have that fiber that your gut yeah, that's right. And, you know, the majority of the fiber is insoluble, but it's, there is a portion that's uh, soluble as well. But let's face it. I mean, what we're really looking for, I think, is we're looking for food as medicine. And that's where eating properly puts us into balance. And that's also what we're looking for in terms of being healthy. We're looking for balance. And I think about that sometimes. And I think, you know what, if you're a healthy person, generally speaking, you're not thinking about your health necessarily because you're feeling good. Exactly. If you're feeling good, you don't need to worry about it. Well, you need to worry about it, but you're not, it's not on the forefront of your mind. Unlike people that have, you know, with chronic illness and it's on the forefront of their mind and this can help them as well because all of their supplements they're taking, it can. probiotics, they're finding so much stems from the gut. So, you know, probiotics are a big deal, but they don't talk enough about that you need to feed those critters, those bacteria. They need something to eat or they're not going to live. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And if you look at, at most of our 
fruits and vegetables, which is what they are telling us for the most part is, yeah, make sure you have lots of fruits and vegetables, especially vegetables. I mean, it's like they are primarily fiber, but they've got all these other nutrients in there as well. But I mean, if you're eating a good portion of fruits and vegetables, then, you know, you're getting a lot of fiber and that's really important. And 6% minerals. And maybe you can describe to our listeners, what are the main minerals? The main minerals would be um, phosphorus and potassium, high in phosphorus and potassium. And here's the other cool thing there. Mushrooms have a good amount of B vitamins. They've got thiamine, riboflavin, and niacin. And with riboflavin and niacin, which are B2 and B3, 100 grams of fresh mushrooms will give you 25 to 30% of the recommended daily allowance. So B vitamins are something else that you're going to be getting with mushrooms. So there's just a lot of good benefits. And look, 100 grams of fresh mushrooms, it's really funny because the other day I took a button mushroom, which is a common supermarket mushroom you'd see out there. And I took a medium-sized button mushroom. I weighed it up. It weighed 40 grams. I was shocked. I thought, wow, 40 grams. And I'm just telling you, 100 grams of fresh mushrooms will give you 25 to 30% of your RDA for uh, riboflavin and niacin. And listen, I can sit down, I mean, 100 grams of fresh mushrooms, like agaric or something, I can eat that in the blink of an eye. I mean, I'll sit down sometimes and I'll eat half a pound with dinner, 200 grams. And that to me is nothing. I know, And then, like you said, they're low calorie as well. Well, yeah, that's absolutely right. And that gets back to all of that fiber for one and the high quality of the carbohydrates, because we're not talking about starches. Mushrooms do not contain starch. Plants produce starch. Mushrooms, here's something kind of cool is that mushrooms produce glycogen as their storage carbohydrate. That's what we as humans produce as our storage carbohydrate, glycogen. Now, it's about 5% or less of the content of mushrooms. They don't need a lot of storage carbohydrates. They're not like a plant where you get end up 50, 60% starch in a plant. But think about that for a minute. I mean, it's like you're not getting starchy carbohydrates. When you're eating a mushroom, you're getting high quality carbs that are very positive. In fact, one of the carbohydrates in mushrooms is mannitol. And mannitol is something that is very slow digesting. And, you know, that's kind of where we want to go is we kind of want to go these foods that slowly, we digest them very slowly. That's the whole GI index or glycemic index. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's not the starchy, it's not like eating a russet potato. No, exactly. There's not going to spike anything. So it's just a slow digesting carbohydrate. So that's why it has less calories, but you get so many benefits from it. That's exactly right. And in fact, some people, and there's been research out there that shows that it's very good for diabetics because it's a food that is Mm -hmm. slow digesting. And part of that with the people who are diabetic is that You want to stay away from those high glycemic index foods that will give you all that starch and sugar and all of that you want to be. And mushrooms also are going to fill you up in the sense that, man, if you eat 100 grams or 200 grams of mushrooms, well, you can feel like, oh, okay, I'm kind of full. I, I don't feel hungry. Exactly. That's great. And now, so there's so many different kinds of mushrooms. Yes. You know, a lot of us, we just think of the 
the common button mushroom. And a lot of people don't like mushrooms. For example, my son, he will not touch, he's only 10, but he will not touch mushrooms. But there are so many different kinds of mushrooms. So I'm sure that everyone can find one that they like. I myself took me a while to like, sometimes they can, when you cook them, they may, I like them when they're a little crispier, for example, rather than when they're slimy. My son convincing him to try different mushrooms, that there's not only the button mushrooms or those big, huge mushrooms. There's so many different kinds. Well, let me give you a tip because I understand. And look, I've been in the mushroom industry, so to speak, since 1973. And I've heard all of the people that don't like mushrooms. And the primary thing is, oh, they're slimy. Yes, that's what he said. That's exactly what my son says. They're slimy. <laughs> well, yeah. And let me tell you why. They were not cooked properly. Right. And here's the tip. Hot pan. Cook them in whatever oil you want. I mean, some people who don't use oil, they cook them in water, which I've never tried that, so I don't know. But cook them in whatever oil. I use butter. Cook them in a hot pan. If you cook them at too low a temperature, the water comes right out mm. of them. And now they're in a pool of water while you're cooking them. And then it's almost like you're cooking a gravy and you take them out of there and they are slimy. What I do is I cook them in a hot pan and I will literally on one side, I will brown them up. Don't slice them too thin. I like to slice them maybe about an eighth of an inch thick at the least. And then you brown them up on one side. Sometimes I will by hand turn them over so that the other side gets browned as well. So when they come out, they are not at all slimy. In fact, the moisture has stayed inside, but the outside surfaces have browned up. And I also cook them maybe a little longer than most people would. And then I just give them a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper if I'm eating them alone. And they taste great. And listen, when you brown them up on the side, they are not slimy, period. I love that. And we're going to try that for sure, because I want to get him eating mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know about you, but my uh, favorite mushroom is a shiitake mushroom. I do like the shiitake mushroom. Oh, the flavor is heavenly. In fact, in China, they call shiitake shanggu, which means fragrant mushroom. That's a lovely name. Now, the two mushrooms I read a lot about having medicinal properties, there's the lion's mane. Mm -hmm. and the shaga as well, and the reishi. Those are the ones I've heard as far as medicinal properties. But it sounds like all mushrooms, they're going to have some good benefits for you. But are there particular ones that are more beneficial? Well, yes, there are. And in fact, you know, here's the thing. There's like thousands of different mushroom yes. species out there. And I even have a book from China that lists 270 mushrooms that are considered medicinal. And primarily because there's at least been one research paper that has shown a certain amount of activity. But if you look at traditional Chinese medicine, which is kind of where it all starts for me, is there's maybe 12 major species of mushrooms that have been used regularly in traditional Chinese medicine. So I take those 12 and then I go out and I look at the scientific literature. Okay, how many research papers have been written about these particular species. What do they tell me? What are the active compounds in there? What do they do? And if those two things come together, then I go, okay. And those are the 10 or so species that uh, we sell. And that would be like cordyceps, shiitake, maitake, turkey tail, reishi, chaga, 
and a few others. And what makes them medicinal, Don, is that every mushroom has beta-glucans, but there is a specific architecture of that beta-glucan that in each species is a little bit different. And it's that architecture that makes the difference between it being very medicinal and not so much. And those species are the ones that it turns out they have been using for thousands of years. These particular mushrooms that end up having this certain type of beta-glucan architecture. And one of the cool things that we do is we actually analyze. We, I love scientific testing. I mean, it's one thing we can go, okay, yeah, there's long historic use of these things. I like to analyze because when I'm selling a product, I want to be able to say, look, it has the compounds that are supposed to be there as a medicinal mushroom. So one of the things we do is we analyze for beta-glucans. <clears throat> and it turns out that these specific beta-glucans, the, the potent ones, are anywhere from 25 to 60% of the mushroom. And the two highest ones in beta-glucans are two specific mushrooms that are really well considered as medicinals. One is a reishi mushroom and the other is a turkey tail. I haven't heard of the turkey tail. Oh yeah, the turkey tail is, is an interesting one. But in terms of activities and what the mushrooms do, primarily what they do is these beta-glucans will activate immune cells. So when we're eating a mushroom or supplementing with a mushroom, what's happening is these immune cell receptor sites are down in our small intestine. And so when the mushrooms get down there, the beta-glucans will activate those receptor sites. And what that does is it stimulates the production of natural killer cells, macrophages, lymphocytes. So that is the major and what I would say primary medicinal effect of medicinal mushrooms. And here's the thing, mushrooms aren't going to work overnight. If somebody tells you, you know what? Yeah, I, I was feeling a cold coming on. I took this mushroom supplement and that was yesterday and, and today I feel great. No, 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 no. That's not how they work. They're not like taking an ibuprofen or an aspirin and your headache's gone or anything like that. They need to be taken for a period of time and they're kind of working in the background. A lot of times you're not going to necessarily notice any real effect, but over time you might say, oh, wow, I feel like I'm not getting ill as much, or I just feel healthier. So those are the types of effects. Now, some mushrooms, and you talked about it before you mentioned lion's mane. Man, Don, lion's mane is like everybody is brothers talking about lion's mane. Yeah, I've heard about it a lot. And I've, I don't think I've tried anything with lion's mane. I've tried something with reishi. but still. Yeah, well, you made the right choice because I tell people, look, if you're going to supplement with one mushroom, and just so your listeners know, reishi, reishi is... That's how you say it, reishi. Okay, reishi, like reishi, yeah. It is hard and woody. I, at one point early on in the 1990, when no company had a mushroom in their product line, I would be at the Natural Foods Expo in Los Angeles and walking around and I'd be showing people a reishi mushroom and say, hey, do you have mushrooms in your product line? It, reishi mushrooms have been used for thousands of years, and here's what it does, and what do you think? And they'd look at it like, what is it? And it's like, they'd, I'd hand it to them, and they go, "This is this real? Because it's woody. It's like a piece of wood. It's just hard and mm -hmm. woody. 
It's not something you eat. Reishi mushroom, you have to decoct. You have to make a tea out of it to yeah. to actually take it. It's not an edible mushroom. Oh, okay. So they just looked at it like, wow, this is no, I have no idea. And nobody's calling us up and saying, hey, well, we'd like to have some uh, mushroom supplements. Could you guys do it? And they say, so there's no demand. So why should we put out a mushroom product? That's 1990. Nobody in the herbal supplement industry had a mushroom product back then. And you guys, you did actually. Well, yes, I started my company in uh, 1989. Nice. And uh, I was literally one of the first, if not the first company in the U.S. to actually sell mushroom extracts to the supplement industry. And it took a long time during the 90s to educate companies and people in general to the benefits of mushrooms. And that was something that I wrote articles. I had other people write articles. I produced books on medicinal mushrooms. The whole 90s was all about education. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until sort of the end of the 90s and the early 2000s when all of a sudden things started to happen and business started to grow and companies started to put out mushroom products. But it's funny because today... All you ever read about now are mushrooms and yep. mushrooms are the new superfood and kind of what we call in the industry the flavor of the month, yes. so to speak. Yes, I, but, but you want it to last because sometimes the flavors of the months, the reason why is because it's not very beneficial, but they are beneficial. So That's absolutely right. And when I'm traveling in China, almost every lunch or dinner, there will be a couple of mushroom dishes. And if not complete dishes, there will also be dishes where there will be some mushrooms in the dish itself. So they're so far ahead of us in terms of actually consuming mushrooms and using them as uh, health aids. I mean, way out in front of us. And we're just catching up at this point. Yes, it's true. At least six. And there's, like you said, there's what, there are millions of species? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of there's many species of, of fungi and fungi is a very, very large group. It's actually its own kingdom. Mm-hmm. The number of mushroom species out there, I'm not sure of hundreds of thousands for sure. And the thing about it is, is of all of those hundreds of thousands of species, most of them are edible in the sense that they're not poisonous and they won't upset your stomach or anything like that. But the majority of them don't taste very good. Right, right. <laughs> so there's maybe two dozen or, you know, maybe 30 or 40 species that taste really good. And those are the ones, of course, that humans over centuries have figured that out. And when they go out wild mushroom hunting or when we cultivate mushrooms, I mean, think about it for a second. If there's hundreds of thousands of mushroom species, we can only cultivate maybe 20 or 24 different species out of all of those hundreds of thousands of species. Wow. Oh, so you cannot, you can only cultivate hundreds of those. No, you can only cultivate, there's only 20 or 24 species that are cultivated right now. The majority of species are not able to cultivate a lot of species maybe they could but nobody would care because they don't taste good so nobody's going to go ahead and cultivate them but look at all of the different plants that you can buy seeds for and plant them i mean it's like yeah growing plants putting a seed in the ground is pretty simple but actually growing a mushroom is very 
difficult. And so whenever a new mushroom comes into cultivation, for me, it's like, that's just a prime moment. It's like, this is so amazing. A new species is now able to be cultivated. And that's amazing to me. And one of the species that has just come into cultivation that maybe you've heard of is called cordyceps. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I've heard of that one. So what kind of a, is this an edible? I mean, obviously like you said they're all edible, but does it taste okay? Cordyceps is also called caterpillar fungus. It is harvested, wildcrafted on the steppes of Tibet. Oh, and nice. you literally have to crawl around on your hands and knees to find this fungus. And actually what happens is a caterpillar, because it, all the cordyceps species grow on insects, the caterpillar will hibernate in the late fall. It'll dig down in under the ground. It'll be down there a couple inches down and it will hibernate, but it doesn't realize that it's actually got these spores from this particular mushroom species on it. So over winter, these spores germinate they consume the whole inside of this caterpillar. And then when summer comes, a small blade-like fungus grows off this caterpillar, which is now basically a mummy, and it grows up like a blade of grass. They actually call this winter worm summer grass. And over the last five years, the value of that particular fungus, which they sell with the caterpillar. And it's been used for hundreds, if not thousands of years in China, and it's highly prized. Over the last five years, the cost of it has gone up to where they're selling it for $20,000 per dried kilogram. Wow. $20,000 per dried kilogram. <laughs> yes. Yes. My God, my customers are not going to eat insects. <laughs> Not only that, they would say, look, many of our customers are vegetarian. Right, right. <laughs> They're not going to eat an insect. Just in the last five years, they've learned how to cultivate this caterpillar fungus. I different species, but it's also cordyceps, and they do not cultivate it on an insect. So they cultivate this thing. And you should see it. It is beautiful. It is breakthrough. And the cost is way down because now it's cultivated. So it's actually something that they can produce in a reasonable way. So now a lot of athletes are taking cordyceps to basically help with fatigue and maybe give them a little bit of extra when they're performing. Nice. And now mushrooms have been used or people have known about the healing powers of mushrooms for thousands of years in the East, correct? So, I mean, like, yeah. I know going into the Chinese medical stores and just, you know, walking around and just seeing all the different mushrooms they've had. So they've always known this. So it just yes. took longer for the West to catch up with this. Yes, it did, in fact. And why exactly, I'm not certain, other than in Europe, they started growing mushrooms, and this was the button mushroom. Right. That's where they started growing it. They started growing it in France in the late 1700s, early 1800s. In fact, that button mushroom was called the Champignon de Paris, the mushroom of Paris, Okay. because they were growing it all around that area in France. And then it spread in Europe off to the UK. Ultimately, it spread to the United States where they started growing the agaricus. But 
for some reason, especially in the United States, for some reason, it has just not been a food that was promoted. In fact, there's a lot of kind of what has been called mycophobia, where people are told to be afraid of mushrooms. Yes. And that has sort of kept the mushroom industry from really expanding and expanding into all these different species. And that's being overcome now. I think the newer generations now are starting to look at mushrooms differently. And now that we have six species in the markets and people are eating shiitake or maitake or some of these other mushrooms and discovering how great they taste and how many things you can do with them, I think that's really changed. And I think now that mycophobia is pretty much gone. But I mean, look, if you're out wild mushroom hunting, there are mushrooms that'll kill you. So, yeah, and, and there's people that, that, yeah, how, yeah. How people can avoid people new to mushroom hunting. That's a, that's a question well, as well. The, but yeah. the main thing is if you're going to go out mushroom hunting, always go out with somebody who knows what they're doing and really knows what they're doing. And not only that, the first time you try a new mushroom, especially a wild mushroom that you've never eaten before, don't eat very much of it. Just okay. eat a little bit, you know, taste it, see if you like it or so. But what happens with people that end up eating a poisonous mushroom and dying is that they go out and they collect these mushrooms and they're meaty, beautiful mushrooms mm -hmm. and they'll take them home. They will cook up a slew of them and then eat a lot of them. Okay. And that's where they really get into trouble because if it's a deadly poisonous mushroom, I mean, you know, you have to eat a reasonable amount. It's not like you eat a tiny little bit and boom, you're dead. Oh, no, I didn't it's know not. that. So you have to, they're not, are there any species that are that toxic? If you just have like one little tiny bite, it's going to no, kill you? No, no, okay. they really aren't. Not, not to my, you know, there's a lot of myths out there. Some of it's like, oh, oh if you touch that mushroom. Yeah, that's what out, I've always right? was told. Probably out hiking, don't touch that. Don't even touch that mushroom because it's, <laughs> you know, you, we don't know. And also like based on the color, it doesn't mean it's poisonous if it's a strange color or if it's really big. So I didn't know that. So you have to eat a lot of it. So just, just mm -hmm. don't cook up a big batch of a mushroom you might not know, or you might have seen a picture in a book, but you don't know exactly if it's the right one. Okay. Absolutely right. Yeah. And here's what's kind of what I always recommend is normally in large cities, and I'm sure in Los Angeles, in fact, I know there is, there's a Los Angeles Mycological Society. Mm -hmm. These groups, essentially, they love to take beginners out with them on a mushroom hunt. And most of these groups, every year, they will have a show. And what they do is their members go out and they collect all these different mushrooms. They bring them back. They display them really nicely on tables and they identify them. And you can go there and you can learn about what mushrooms are edible, easy to identify. And then, of course, go out with these people and walk through wherever they are looking for the mushrooms and learn a few different mushrooms. And I always say, look, learn one particular easy to identify species first. So when you go out, there's always that one species that you can find and you go, oh yeah, this is great. I found some wild mushrooms. And like up here in the Pacific Northwest, the one that's the easiest for us to find is called a chanterelle. It's a delicious oh, yeah. mushroom. It's kind of got a golden color and a shape kind of like a trumpet. It's easy to find. We've got lots of them out in the woods. So that's a common one that a lot of people will look for when they're out mushroom hunting. But you indeed 
do not go out and pick a wild mushroom or something that's growing in your lawn and go, oh man, that looks nice and meaty. I'm going to chop it up and eat it. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> so, but if you have, if you do ever try something, just try a small. Absolutely. Right. I mean, cause the other thing is that some people even have a, maybe 5% of the population out there will have a food allergy. And sometimes that will be a particular mushroom. Like I knew the father of a friend of mine who was an avid mushroom hunter. He was allergic to the morel mushroom and the morel is a fantastic edible mushroom. And here it was, he's loved hunting mushrooms and loved mushrooms and he could not eat the morel. Interesting. I didn't know you could have allergies. I mean, it makes sense because you can have allergies to almost anything. Yes, exactly. Uh, even certain mushrooms. And what that means basically oftentimes with that mushroom is maybe he'll eat that mushroom and he'll get a little bit of gastrointestinal yeah. upset. But just have a little bit, then you won't have too much of a You, you know, product. and again, that's the most important thing I would say is, look, if you, any new mushroom, just try a little bit of it, taste it. But, you know, if it's coming out of the supermarket, you can obviously taste it. You can obviously eat more than just a small amount. And really, right. to be safe, when you're out there and somebody says, oh, let's try this mushroom, you really should just go, you know, unless you know exactly what that is, I'm not going to try it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they shouldn't either. Excellent. Now... Some mushrooms, they say, have certain, I, you know, you read the health claims, and it's a little bit like you said, it's the flavor of the month. It's trendy right now. So I've read some mushrooms are immune boosting, some they'll help with your sleep. So is it true that they do have these benefits, or are they kind of overstating it? Because some of these are the tea companies that are wanting to sell you the teas. So how can people differentiate to really know that these claims are true? Well, you know, first of all, let me say that, my God, like all industries, the supplement industry is rife with claims. Mm -hmm. It's rife with exaggeration, rife with what I call marketing speak. And I'll give you a great example of that. Right now, the mushroom that is really, you know, if you go on the internet, you'll find chaga. Yes, that's one of the ones that I saw. <laughs> and people who sell it will call it the king of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, Don, you know what? In my career, I have seen four king of mushrooms. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the 70s, it was shiitake. Okay. In the 80s and early 90s, it was reishi. In the late 90s, it was maitake. And today, it's chaga. And, you know, don't pay attention to that. And the other thing about people who sell chaga is they make claims that it will do dozens of different things that it will do. And it's a panacea. I mean, it's like there's nothing it can't do. Do not believe that information. Please do not believe it. It's not true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of tell by reading it, but yeah, there's so many articles and they're not backed up by study, but you're a mycologist, so you know the true benefits because well, you've, you've done research and you can rely on the research. So a lot of things right. they can just say, you know, oh, yeah, it has immune boosting. It can cure cancer. I mean, you know, everything's know, cancer. I know. And listen, I look at mushrooms and supplements as being a keystone to prevention. Mm -hmm. I really look at them in that way. Now, some mushrooms go a little bit beyond that, but I think in general, you can say, okay, they're really good. And that's where the whole immune boosting property comes in is that's what is going to help prevent disease. So it's working in the background for you. Other mushrooms, and we haven't talked about it yet, but for example, lion's mane. Lion's mane okay. actually has 
some compounds that will stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor is a compound that we have that will stimulate the production of neurites and neurons, so nerve cells. And we have nerve cells that are dying and being Mm -hmm. regenerated all the time. And so lion's mane in studies has proven to boost the production of those nerve cells. And where I think it really comes in is with, as you get older, you start to, let's just say their cells are dying off faster than they're being reproduced. So that's why people end up with memory issues. That's why dementia comes in. But so what's really interesting about it is that there have been some clinical trials with lion's mane, and that's kind of what we really like to see, but it's really difficult with herbs because it's expensive to do clinical trials. And so no company wants to do that. It just costs too much money. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars for clinical trials. But there was a couple of studies out of Japan. One of them, they took 30 people, two groups of 30 people each, and they were all approximately 70 years old. They gave them a battery of cognitive tests Then the one group started taking lion's mane, three grams of lion's mane, not a lot really, three grams of lion's mane a day. They did this for 90 days. At the end of 90 days, they retested them. And the group that took the lion's mane scored significantly higher in the battery of tests than the control group, which basically was statistically significant. Now, the other thing that was kind of interesting about this study was that Then they carried on and the lion's mane group stopped taking the lion's mane. And then 30 days later, they retested both groups. And at that point, neither of them had been taking lion's mane. And the group that had tested higher, that had been taking the lion's mane, now dropped back to the baseline as the same as the other group. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. And they have other similar tests like that that they've done for people with dementia, Now, one of the reasons why lion's mane is really trending right now is because one of the big categories out there that we hear a lot about are called nootropics. And, you know, nootropics are things that will enhance any of our senses or our abilities in any way that's kind of considered a nootropic. For example, I'll give you a prime example of a nootropic, and that would be coffee. Oh, okay. So that's a nootropic. Okay. Because coffee is a stimulant and we're drinking coffee. Like I drink my coffee in the morning and that kind of gives me a little bit of energy and cognitively I'm sharper and Mm -hmm. I start to move into the day and I can accomplish stuff. And so that's the idea behind a nootropic. It's some type of food or herb or other type of whether it be plant or fungus, that can enhance our innate abilities. So nootropics are, that whole category has just exploded. And so many people are looking at how can I enhance my abilities, right? Mm -hmm. So lion's mane has shown the ability to do that. So for that reason, now lion's mane is our top selling mushroom right now absolutely top selling. We can't hardly keep it in stock. Companies are just, every time we turn around, some new companies come out and wants to buy lion's mane. It is just amazing. And the funny thing is, is that three or four years ago, we were not selling any lion's mane at all. 
small amount. They're learning about it as a nootropic. Well, yeah, and that's the whole thing is because of its use as a nootropic, it has just kind of gained, it's gotten a lot of credibility out there. And so for that reason now, it is really the mushroom that's trending a lot. Yeah, I see so much about it. And now I didn't get to ask you this, but how did you get into mycology in the first place? What made you open up the company, Namex? I, when I was younger, and again, I was born and raised in Washington State, grew up okay. in Seattle. It's a beautiful place. I live there, and it's probably a lot of a lot more species of mushrooms there than here, I'm sure. Exactly. I mean, mushrooms are everywhere, and you know, it's raining all the time. Yes. So in the fall, the environment is just perfect. We have all these forests, so there's just mushrooms everywhere. So they're around me all the time, and I was able to get out mushroom hunting. For example, the man I was telling you about that was the father of a friend, I went out mushroom hunting with him on a number of occasions, him and my friend. And I was kind of fascinated by it. And you know, what's cool about mushrooms is when you're going mushroom hunting, it's kind of a treasure hunt. You're walking out in the woods. My major at university was anthropology, but I still held on to my interest in mushrooms. So I took some courses in mycology. And in my anthropology major, I was studying the use of mushrooms worldwide as food, medicine, and in shamanic purposes, because mm -hmm. mushrooms have also been what we call magic mushrooms have been yeah, used. Yeah, I was going to ask about that too. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. yeah. There, but yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. And look, you know what? In the 60s, magic mushrooms played a major role. There was a lot of that going on. And certainly I tried magic mushrooms. And I even went to Mexico at one point and went back into the mountains looking for people that were using mushrooms okay. and he sort of as an anthropologist and also someone who was just, you know, at that time it was Mexico was just kind of a very exotic, amazing place. So that was sort of the background to it all. And then you sort of realize, you know, you come back from Mexico, you don't have any money, you're living in your father's basement and you're like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get a job? And you know, the mm -hmm. jobs, you're just kind of like, huh? And then I thought, well, exactly. I'd love to learn how to grow mushrooms. That would be really interesting. And so in Washington State, we had one mushroom farm in Washington State, and it was a—it's only a 60-minute drive from Seattle. So I went down there, applied for a job, and lo and behold, I got a job there. I ended up there for the next 10 years. And Don, you know what? I loved everything about it. I loved the fact that all of a sudden I'm on this big farm. There are rooms and rooms and rooms. It's like they grow these mushrooms uh, in big warehouse type rooms, all climate controlled. Each room will produce about 20,000 pounds of fresh mushrooms. Nice. Well, that's a wonderful story. And, and I know we're getting close to the end, but I did want to ask about the magic mushrooms. And I've been reading a lot about, there are people that are recommending to do psychedelics now to enhance, I don't know exactly what it is, brain function. I I think it's the guy from Bulletproof. He does psychedelics and biohacking. They're, it's supposed to enhance things. So they're finding out there's actually benefits to it, not as much as a party drug, but as something to enhance. So do you get people requesting though? Because I'm obviously you don't sell them because they're, they're not legal. But do you ever get requests about, and, and what do you think about the magic mushrooms? Oh, I think they're wonderful. I think there's something that will provide tremendous benefits to societies, to people in general. I think it's right now, What's happening is they're doing a lot finally, and because it's been prohibited now for exactly. about 50 years. And, yes. and now researchers are using mushrooms with people who have a certain mental illness. They're also using it for people who've got addiction. Mm -hmm. They're using it for people as a end of life 
type of plant that can help people cope with the whole end of life situation, you know, like a terminal cancer patient or something like that. And it's just shown nothing but positive results. And I think for one, people have the right to use these plants. And, you know, the important thing is to do it in the right context. You can also end up where you're not feeling very good when you take one of these things because your mental frame is not in a positive place. What they used to call like a bad trip, you know. You yeah. Can... And, you know, a bad trip is really just a trip where either your state of mind is bad to begin with, because what happens is when you take these things, it will magnify that. Or you're in a place like, do you really want to be walking through a supermarket or a department store or some place where it's like, gee, what am I doing here? And this is not so much fun at all. And that gets back to what's called set and setting. So the set being your mindset and the setting being these mushrooms have been used for thousands of years in a very positive way. And if you allow that to unfold properly in our society, they will have a very positive effect on our society. A lot of people now use them in what they call microdosing as a nootropic where they're getting, mm -hmm. again, maybe a little bit of stimulation where their mind is working a little better in some way. So that's another way that they're being used. But if you're planning to use it in where you're taking a little bit higher amount of them, use them with friends, stay home, I would say, to do it in the evening uh, in a dimly lit room, maybe in darkness, and just let it unfold and do it in a safe place when you are feeling good and in a positive mood. Absolutely. Now, we're going about to sign off. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off? And also, I want to get your website where people can find out more information about your products? Sure. First of all, I say, look, if you're interested in mushrooms, start out by putting mushrooms into your diet. They're a great food. There's lots of different, very choice species now that are being sold in the markets. Start out by using them as food. If you feel like you want to try them as a supplement, there's a lot of supplements out there. Be very careful. The market is full of what I would call facsimile products. Be very aware of products that are called uh, mycelium because they're actually grown on a grain and you're going to end up getting a lot of starch rather than actual mushrooms. So look for products that are 100% mushroom. And my website, Don, is namex.com, N-A-M-M-E-X.com. We have lots of information there, very deep information about mushrooms, about quality control of mushrooms, and quality control for us is very, very important. And then if somebody wants to actually try our products, they can get them retail at our site called Real Mushrooms. Dot com, and that's where we have the retail products, and so people can purchase them there. Wonderful. And I'll put that information on my website when this is launched. And thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me today. This was a really interesting discussion, and I know everybody's going to get a lot out of it. Thank you for having me. It has been fun, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have any questions for me or for my guest, visit teaspoonofhealing.com and go to my contact page and you can fill out a form there. I'll get back to you. Or you can visit my Instagram 
at Teaspoon of Healing or facebook.com slash Teaspoon of Healing. Stay tuned next week for more and stay tuned for some website updates. Been making some changes there and more blog content and a lot more cool stuff. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. 